Amen. John chapter 15, John chapter 15, we've been dealing with our series on prayer. Of course, uh, let's praise our theme this year, and so we've been kind of working through that. We've addressed a number of uh, passages. We'll talk about that in just a moment, kind of wrap up just a couple things, summarize a few things, and then we'll jump into another area of prayer. So John chapter 15, verse 5 <clears throat> We see there, the Bible says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Ye can do nothing. And uh, we're going to see a number of things here in the passage that ultimately lead us to our theme. Now, an old preacher was dying. And um, he sent a message to his, for his banker and his lawyer, both church members, to come to the to his home. And uh, when they arrived, you know, they were ushered up to the bedroom. And as they entered the room, the, the preacher kind of held out his hands, one on, you know, just each side of the bed. And he saw them and he kind of oh, sighed contently, he smiled and just kind of stared up at the ceiling. This went on for some time. Nobody said a word, not anyone really. Finally, both the banker and the lawyer, they were kind of flattered, you know, they were touched that the preacher, I mean, of all people, would invite them seeing that it was his final moments of life on earth. They were also a lot of, uh, rather puzzled as well. I mean, you know, the preacher had never really given them any indication that he particularly liked either one of them, really. I mean, they both remembered his, long, his, his, his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed and covetousness, about negative and bad behavior. It often made them squirm in their seats, you know. Finally, the banker, he mustered enough courage to finally say, Preacher, uh, <laughs> we're just kind of wondering, why would you ask us to come? The old preacher, he kind of took a couple deep breaths and he mustered up enough strength and he finally said in a very weak tone, Well, Jesus died between two thieves and that's how I want to go. <laughs> okay. All right. I thought that might encourage you and be a blessing to you today. And so, nonetheless, in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. He states here in the passage, I am the vine, ye are the branches. You know, as the branches, we are to abide in the vine, he says. That word abide means to rest or to dwell. He goes on to say, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So when we rest in Christ or we continue permanently in his presence, we're bound to bring forth, as he says, much fruit. Well, that's important, isn't it? The place of the branch is in the vine. Sever the branch from the vine and it's going to die. That's just all there is to it. A vine is lifeless, it's useless, and it's fruitless unless it abides in the vine. He goes on to say, for without me ye can do nothing. Here we have this beautiful picture of Christ in the church and Christ in you and I today. And he's saying, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And understand that the, the, the branches without the vine don't exist. They, they accomplish nothing. They ultimately shrivel up and die. And the truth is, without me, ye can do nothing. Apart from the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no spiritual life. And there's no spiritual fruit. The truth is, there's nothing. And this has led us to our conclusion or our theme for this year. 
Again, if there's no spiritual life or any spiritual fruit without him, and if we can do nothing without him, then we must pray. Therefore, the theme, let's pray. And that's why we came to that conclusion, and that's how we instituted our theme for 2020. You know, it's been said, man at his greatest and highest, excuse me, man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. That's a good one, isn't it? Let me say that again. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Now, again, we've taken time over the last few weeks to address and to recognize the privilege of prayer. We talked about the power of prayer. And just over the last few weeks, we addressed and dealt with the prerequisite of prayer. Today, I want to cover this topic and I want to address the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer. At the end of a revival service, uh, the evangelist, he invited people to come forward if they wanted someone to pray for them. And, uh, you know, about midway through the line, uh, there stood this very imposing, very intimidating looking fella. And uh, when the minister asked about his prayer request, this burly fella said, well, Reverend, I, uh, I need you to pray for my hearing. The evangelist quickly placed his hands over the man's ears and he prayed fervently for restored hearing. When the minister finished praying, he looked at the man squarely in the eye and he shouted above the choir's strong singing, said, How's your hearing now? The man loudly replied, I don't know, preacher. My hearing ain't till next Wednesday at the courthouse. (laughs) Now listen, we pray for all kind of reasons, don't we? And there's all kind of reasons why people pray. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you say, well, I got a problem. I got a situation. But really, we need to understand the real purpose of prayer. In understanding the purpose of prayer, it might help us when we pray. And so I want to have a word of prayer and invite Christ into our midst. And I want to give you three purposes, if you will, or three things that kind of help us to understand the purpose of prayer, okay? So let's pray. Father, We thank you for this time together. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, prayer is so vital and it's so important in our lives. Lord, may we understand its purpose. May you give us insight and understanding. May you guide and lead us. Lord, if there be any in this room that have yet to personally accept your payment for sin, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, may they receive and accept it today. May they not leave here without Him, the Lord Jesus. May they not leave here without hope of everlasting life. May they not leave here without an eternal reservation in heaven. May they not leave here without a relationship with you. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First of all, the purpose of prayer. Let me give you number one. To get to know God. To get to know God. You say, well, that's, that's, that's the purpose. Yes, absolutely. To get to know God. I think what you'd find if you'd go through uh, the Word of God, you know, and this is one of those questions that often is asked, and I think it's a good one. Why in the world do we have to pray if God knows everything? You ever think about that? I do. I think about stuff like that. The truth is, is more than likely God doesn't really need your prayer to know what's going on in your life. But you know what? You need to pray. And so do I. Why in the world do we need to pray then? 
I'll tell you one good reason, to get to know God, to get to know the one we're praying to. See, when we pray, we enter into the very presence of God. We enjoy an intimate and a very special communion with our Heavenly Father. Spending time with anybody provides an opportunity for you to get to know them better, right? I mean, if you want to get to know somebody, whether it's a, a, a girl fellas or whether it's a guy ladies or whether or not it's, it's a friend or something, you're someone you've met at work and you want to get to know them, what do you do? You try to spend a little time with them. And by the way, you spend time with people, they're going to rub off on you, you're going to rub off on them. And the truth is, is that when you get into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, you get into the presence of God the Father and you literally bow before him and you listen to what he has to say and you share your heart with him, you get to know him in a very intimate, personal way. And that is one of the real purposes of prayer, that you get to know God. It's amazing to think that you'll get a privilege and the opportunity of living with him forever. Might as well get to know him now. It's been said that a person's life will suffer if he doesn't pray. I'm not really sure of that. I kind of question that a little bit. I watch people that don't pray all the time that do pretty well in life. Just saying. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God that lives in you, though. Do you know the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ moved in, that new man the Bible calls him? I tell you what, you're going to feed either the new man or you're going to feed the flesh. It's up to you which one you'll feed. And the truth is, is that when we go to God in prayer, not only do we get to know God, but we feed the inner man. We feed that new man that's created in us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. A new creature, a new creation in Christ. That new man lives in you. And that new man needs fed. And he doesn't need fed with hamburgers and cheeseburgers and pizza and pasta. He needs fed with the Spirit of God. And he needs fed into the Word of God and the presence of God himself. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. When a person is born again from above, and the life of the Son of God is born in them, and they can either starve or they can nourish that life. If you aren't praying and you're not consistently entering into the presence of God the Father, my friend, then you are spiritually withering away and dying. Well, I just don't have time to pray and you don't understand my schedule and you don't realize the responsibilities that I bear. I try to get up, but it just doesn't work. And I try to stay up and pray, but it just doesn't work. I try to make time for Jesus Christ and to pray to God the Father. It's just not happening, my friend. You are killing the Spirit. You are destroying Him inside. You are starving the new man. You know what is rising to the surface then? I'll guarantee you, it's the flesh. The flesh gets stronger when you feed it the flesh. And the Spirit gets stronger when you feed it in the Spirit. The question is, which man are you feeding? And through prayer, not only do we get to know God, but that inner man is strengthened. I can't overcome sin in my life, preacher. It seems like it's got a grip on me. Of course it does. Your flesh and so am I. The determining factor is, which man are you feeding, though? You'll never overcome your sin in your life if you're feeding the flesh. And let me tell you, if you're not praying, then you are starving the spiritual man inside you. You've got to pray, and so do I. We look upon prayer 
simply as a means of getting things for ourselves at times. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. You know, one of the dangers that we run into is that we have a tendency to go to God and it's kind of like we have a checklist. And I'm not opposed to lists. I think lists are important. I think you need a prayer list. I think it helps you, as we passed out the prayer journals the other day, it helps you to recognize what you're praying for and to see God answering it. A tangible answer. A practical answer. But you need to be careful because sometimes we get the idea that prayer is just about keeping a list. It's about going through this checklist of needs needs that I have and needs that my wife has and needs that my kids have and needs that my family has, needs that others around me have. I've just got to check off the list. Every day I go through the list. Oh God, help my wife to to, to feel better. Help my children to be safe. Help my... And we get to the end and we have not even met with him. Prayer's not really so much about you getting your circumstances dealt with and addressed as it is about you getting to know him who can affect your circumstances if he chooses to. Paul the Apostle is writing the church at Philippi. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, would you? Philippians chapter 3. So the Apostle Paul's writing the church at Philippi, and he's doing it to warn them and to protect them from false teachers. False teachers who were determined to undermine the truth, to infect them with false teaching and ultimately devour them. That's why he uses the word uh, that basically ravenous dogs or dogs that will chew you up and spit you out. He uses those terms because he's trying to paint a picture of what this false teaching will do and what the teachers of false teaching will do to you. In order that they would listen to him, however, in order that they would take heed to what he was sharing, he begins to offer them his credentials. He doesn't do that so that they'll pat him on the back. He doesn't do that so that they'll elevate him and lift him up as a man. He does that because he wants them to hear what he has to say. And so he's going to go ahead and he's going to uh, present them with some some, uh, reasoning here. And so he shares his credentials. He begins to talk to them about the fact that he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews, that he was more zealous than all. And he, he gives them some insight into his past. But then he turns around and he's going to basically point out this fact. That that and a cup of uh, that and a dollar will buy him a cup of coffee. You say he does? Yeah, look at Philippians 3 7. After sharing his credentials, after letting them know that if there is a Jew here that deserves to, to, to say, I, I know what being a Jew is, and I kept the law, and I was zealous of the law, and I was going in that direction, he says, There was nobody any more zealous than me, and I want you to understand, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Watch it now. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You see that? Why does he count all of it loss? Why does he say, you know what, I give it all up. I gladly gave it up. I count it as dung. I count it as worthlessness. Why? Because I, 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 all I care about is the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He goes on to say, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Watch it. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, that I may know him, he says. Nothing matters to me. Nothing was more important to me than to know him, 
to know him. I guarantee you that Paul prayed because we get to know him through prayer. It's one of the great purposes of prayer. Paul was bent on knowing Jesus Christ. His very heartbeat was that of an intimate relationship. Matter of fact, the foundation of his ministry and the measure of his communion and walk with God was found in his prayer life. He measured everything based on his his relationship with the Lord. Prayer provides an opportunity like no other to get to know God. What's the purpose of prayer? To get to know him. To get to know God. Number two, to change us from the inside out. The purpose of prayer, watch, to change us from the inside out. Again, to say that prayer changes things is not as accurate or as truthful as saying prayer changes me and I change things. Someone says, oh, wait a second. So now you're saying you change things. Now, do you hear what I said? He changes me. Let me tell you what. You look at any home, any marriage, it's messed up. And I promise you this, I don't care how big God is, he's not going to step in and fix your problems till you get fixed. It's an amazing thing to me. People want God to fix their problems without changing them. And may I say that when you come and you counsel with Pastor O'Donnell, my friend, you ought to be spending more time in prayer than you have ever spent. Because when it's all said and done, nothing's going to change in your life. No teenager's going to change. No marriage is going to change until you change. That's the reality of life. I can't stand my boss at work. Maybe you need a change because he's lost, dying, and going to hell. Maybe you need a little compassion for his soul, my friend. And maybe he will go to hell if something doesn't change in your life. And the only way his life will change is if yours does first. And God does the changing. People often want God to do everything for them when God has already positioned us for success. He's already provided us with the indwelling presence of his son. He's already given us the power of the Holy Ghost. He's already given us an access to heaven through prayer. He's given us every tool we need to succeed and to prosper in life and in our Christian walk in life. And yet often we neglect the very thing that God gives us. And we wonder why we're failing in the walk for Christ. Prayer is to change you. Prayer is to change me from the inside out. See, the purpose of prayer is not truly to change circumstance as much as it is, again, to change us. The story is told about two wives who were doing their laundry in a laundromat. They're both mending their husband's pants. And one of the wives said, my husband's no, my husband is so miserable. Nothing goes right at work. He can't find any good thing on television to watch. Our home is a place of despair. When we go to church, the song leader is terrible. The pastor's an idiot. The other wife said, well, my wife is so excited. Uh, my husband is, my wife, my husband is so excited. He can't wait to go to church. He loves the sermons. We laugh all the time and enjoy our family. It got really quiet in the laundry room and the women just continued to sew the pants. One was sewing the seat of the pants. The other was sewing a patch on the knees. My question is, how much time do you spend on these? Because you know what? The amount of time you spend on those knees will determine your outlook and your attitude. 
Because see, prayer changes you from the inside out. Prayer changes me. And I need change. Listen, I'm just a wretched old sinner. I deserve to go to hell and spend an eternity separated from God. But God is so gracious to give me the privilege of coming to him in prayer, to literally enter his presence, to have an audience with the Father and the God of the universe so that I can be changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and be like Jesus. Have the heart of Jesus, have the attitude of Jesus, have the actions of Jesus. Again, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't pray for deliverance. There's no doubt that we ought to pray as God, as our heart is, is bent on praying. But hold on, we also need to realize there are times to pray prevailing prayers. We need to ask God things like, give me grace to sustain me. Grant me strength to stand firm. Give me the willpower to keep on going. See, God delivers us through the problem many times instead of out of it. How many people have you met and how many people have I come into contact with that are bitter at God because he did not answer a prayer the way they wanted it answered? And somehow they feel that God has failed them. God said he would answer my prayer and he didn't answer it. And they're bitter at God. They're angry with him and then they become angry at at anyone that's involved in the work of God even at times. They want nothing to do with him. They want nothing to do with the church. They want nothing to do with the Bible. And you think to yourself, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because their expectations for prayer were wrong. They were unscriptural to begin with. As we mentioned before, maybe they didn't follow through and meet the prerequisites of prayer. But then also, maybe they had a wrong attitude toward prayer. They forgot and did not understand what the real purpose of prayer was. It's to get to know God. It's to change us from the inside out. And that doesn't happen with God always delivering us out of problems. But it does happen when he delivers us through them. I think of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel still had to go through the lion's den. I think of those 12 tribes. Excuse me, I think think about the three Hebrew children and that fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered and they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. You know what they were saying? Either way, we're out of your hands. But if not, if not, if not all bit bitter, If not, I'll quit on God. If not, I'll teach my children to be atheists. No, they didn't say that. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Verse 27. We see the outcome. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. They were cast into this fiery furnace so hot that the men that threw them in burned up. And yet there they are safe and secure in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of that fiery furnace and God delivered them not out of but through it. And may I say you're going to go through some fiery trials in your life. 
Don't think that God has abandoned you, my friend, even as he was in the midst of that fire with those three Hebrew children. He'll be in the midst with you as well. And ultimately we see that it says, nor was a hair on their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. I think of the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad over in the book of James chapter 1. When he says to them, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Why are they scattered abroad, preacher? Let me tell you. Glad you asked. Because of persecution. Because they're being hunted down and tracked like wild beasts and animals. Husbands are being murdered. Women are being slaughtered. Children are being separated from their families even killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're scattered abroad, fleeing for their lives and seeking some kind of refuge and peace. Oh God, save my family. Oh God, deliver us out of the hand of the enemy. Oh God. And yet here's the reply. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you know what prayer is about? Changing us from the inside out. It didn't change the circumstances, but it changed their attitude. If you'd go back in history, you'll find that the early church gave their lives willingly and laid them down for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it impacted the culture and it impacted every continent of the world. Today, we walk along in the middle of the night, we stub our toe and we curse God. And we say, oh God, how could you let that happen? Tomorrow I'm supposed to walk in a 5K walk or I'm supposed to jog in a 5K run. How dare it? How'd you let that happen? Oh God, heal my toe today, right now. And he doesn't. And we say, well, God doesn't answer my prayers. God's not there, obviously. I'm sick and tired of praying. Nothing happens. It may not be a stub toe. It could be about anything. Maybe a family member or a friend that got bad news. My friend, we can't deny God, nor can we dismiss God. We must trust and believe and continue with him. Listen, go ahead. Discard God for what? If you get rid of God in your life as the head of your home, your family, your marriage... Who takes precedence? Who becomes the God of your home? You say, well, I do. Maybe. But let me tell you, there are only two real gods. And there is big G God, which is Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Or there is little G God, Satan. My friend, either God is in charge of your life or little G God, Satan is. Because he's the God of this world, the Bible says. That means the world system, the economic system, the political system, the... the, the uh, um, the economic system, the religious systems of this world. He's the one who is the God of those systems. You say, I don't believe it. Read your Bible. You'll find it to be true. Why do you think we're in such a mess in the world we live in? Chapter 8 of the book of Romans tells us that the world itself, the actual physical world, groans because of sin. You ever wonder why earthquakes take place? You wonder why tsunamis happen? I'll tell you why, because of sin. 
when Jesus Christ returns and he splits that, that Mount of Olives in half and he takes and makes those geological and, and those, those uh, uh, physical changes to this world, we're going to go back to a pre-flood era. Let me tell you, the Bible says that children will live, will be 100 years of age at that point. Remember how they lived to be 900 and 1,000 years old almost? That's how it'll go back to in the millennium. My friend, I want you to know that sin has wrecked and ruined the world in which we live and only Jesus Christ can change it. Boy, when you get alone with God in prayer, let me tell you, you get to know him. And not only that, but he begins to change you from the inside out. Vance Havner told a story about an elderly lady who was greatly disturbed by her so many troubles. She was just burdened down so greatly. Both, they were both real problems and there were some imaginary problems. Finally, someone in her family tactfully told her grandma, we have done all we can do for you. You'll just have to trust God for the rest. And this look of absolute despair spread over her face and she said, oh dear, it's come to that. Havner commented and he said, it always comes to that. So we might as well begin with that. Let's come to that, trusting, just trusting God. Vance Havner, the great preacher said, it always comes to that, so we might as well begin with that. You know, we fail to learn our lessons, the lessons that God often is trying to teach us Or we fail to cultivate the character that God is trying to grow in us. It's often an indication that God is trying to change us. That's why he allows them in our life. And the primary purpose of prayer is not to change circumstances. The primary purpose of prayer is to change us. But either way, the chief objective remains the same. To glorify God in any and every situation. And that brings us to our last one. Purpose of prayer. Yes, to get to know him personally and intimately. To change us from the inside out. If God needs to just take us through and not out of, that's okay. Because God's purpose in prayer is to change us. To change our outlook. To change our attitude. To change our perspective even. But also to glorify God. You know, if, we, if we're going to be completely honest, I think you could agree with me on this. Most of our prayers have as their main objective our own personal comfort rather than God's glory. What do you think? It's kind of quiet in here all of a sudden, but I, I believe that. I don't know, Brother Kevin, I, I, I think that I could attest that in my own life. I think most of the time I pray, it's usually for my own personal comfort more than it is. Oh, God, I just want you to be glorified. It doesn't matter what I have to endure, what I have to go through, what my family has to face. That's okay. Whatever it is, Lord, as long as you're glorified. I don't know that that's how I pray usually. I don't know that that's my main goal. Most of the time it's about me, my comfort, mine, and others around me. You know, we want to pray away every problem. Listen, I, I get that. I do too. I'm just human. But unfortunately, those kind of short-sighted prayers will short-circuit God's perfect plan in many cases. 
I know that when you talk about prayer, people want to get fired up and they want to believe somehow that God is going to answer every prayer they have the way they ask it. That would be like saying that, God is, that every parent is going to answer every request with a positive yes for everything their child asks for. I don't know how responsible a parent you'd be if you gave your child everything they asked for. It's not very responsible. And God would not be very responsible to, toward us if he gave us everything we asked for. You know, a little child says, I want me a, I want a, a, a destroyer. You say, oh, you mean one of those little toy boats? No, I mean the big one, the real one. Oh, well, in that case, we'll get it for you. Mommy, I want a gun. Oh, sure, here's that little cap gun. You can go play cowboys and Indians. No, I mean a real one. You'd be a fool to give your eight-year-old or seven-year-old a real gun to run around in the neighborhood and play. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm just saying, we don't give our children everything they ask for. Why? Because it would be irresponsible. May I say that God is in the same boat? He's trying to do what is best not only for you and yours, but he also has an obligation and responsibility to be glorified. He is owed that. He deserves the glory. I don't like to preach like that. I don't like to talk like that. Because it means I have to live like that. And I'll be honest with you, it's not easy to live like that. When tragedy strikes and when difficulties come, when hard times follow me, I start to think to myself, oh man, I don't know how I want to pray. I don't know if I want to give God the right to do what he wants. But in the end, he is anyway, right? So all it is is me fighting against my father. Because in the end, he deserves to be glorified. I believe you ought to pray how you feel. I believe you take your every burden to Christ. Why? Because he cares for you. But also, I think we need to be sensitive to his leadership. There are times that God will bend our will in order to align us with his will. And this outcome always glorifies God, not only in our lives, but in the lives of all those around us. God always has a greater purpose in mind when he permits obstacles in our lives. You know, God's going to allow some giants in your life. He did in David's life, didn't he? See how that one turned out? You say, well, yeah, he had the victory. No, the real bottom line was this. In chapter 17, verse 46 of 1 Samuel, <clears throat> David said, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. That wasn't the real goal. Watch this. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Watch. Why, David? Why? So that you can be elevated? Why? So that you can have all the glory? No, 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 no. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that's why God allowed him to go through that. That's why God permitted him to face a giant. That all the earth may know. Also, I think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. There were 450 of them. In the end, when it was all said and done, we read in chapter 18, verse 37 through 39, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 
when we pray, we need to remember that the purpose of prayer is to glorify Him. That doesn't always mean that it'll be comfortable or convenient for us in the end. We take our petitions to God and we beg God to change our circumstances. And in the midst of praying to God, he does something internally. He begins to turn our heart toward him and to the place where we even submit to his will. And we say, oh God, oh God, I want you to do this. But if you don't, it's okay with me. Because all that matters is that you are magnified, that you are exalted, that you are glorified. You're so worthy. That's not something we like to hear, but that's the Bible. And the reason why we're so miserable is because we fail to align ourselves with God and His purpose and His plan for us at times. So we continue to fight instead of rest in Him, instead of accepting what He wants and what He has, knowing that not only in the end, I'm not talking about just immediately, I'm talking about down the road, I'm talking about weeks and months and years. I'm talking about eternity. We'll see the fruit of that in our life and in the lives of others. But it takes faith and it takes trust and we have to believe on him and in him. When we get to know God and God changes us through prayer, he is glorified. Evangelist Bill Rice he was one of eight children growing up in a little ranching community in Dundee, Texas. He was born to Will and Delouse Rice. Bill's dad was a lay preacher. He was also a state senator. Bill grew up and he ultimately married a Catherine Widner in 1936. And together they served the Lord at the Baptist Church Bill pastored in Gainesville, Texas. In 1939, Three years after they'd been married, they moved to Illinois in preparation for God's call to evangelism. It was there in that same year that their baby girl, Betty, became extremely ill, gravely ill with spinal meningitis. Betty did survive. I mean, a very close call. But she lost her hearing as a result of the high fever. One can only imagine how devastating it had to have been on those young parents to watch their child suffer the way she did and to hear the news that she would never hear again. Oh my, I can only imagine that they cried out to God, Oh God, oh God, give our daughter her hearing. But that day never came. In the years that followed, Dr. Bill preached the gospel across the country, but sadly, Betty couldn't even hear the gospel. In those days, uh, you know, there wasn't the kind of programs available for those with disabilities like there are today. Help was almost virtually non-existent. The Rices were, were brokenhearted that they couldn't find anyone who could help them communicate the gospel to Betty. So with the aid of pictures and a blackboard, Kathy Rice, mom, began to teach her daughter the Bible beginning with the creation story and ultimately culminating with the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. God used Betty's salvation to open their eyes and, and, and open their eyes to the great need of unreached deaf people across the country. 
The Lord convinced them that if they had such a burden to reach the deaf people, they should do something about it. So they decided that they would reach out to the deaf as they did their work of an evangelist. As they went to different churches and across the country, they would do their best to be a blessing and a help. In 1950, Bill Rice accepted an invitation to preach revival meetings in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And during that time, while there, God revealed the place that their effort to reach the deaf for Christ would take root. The place was a ranch nine miles west of Main Street. The Rices determined to buy it and to build. They invited deaf young people from across the state to come to camp free of charge. In 1953, they hosted their first deaf week camp with a total of 12 deaf campers. The ranch grew rapidly as the Rices pioneered gospel outreach to the deaf world. The ranch would become so popular that it would not only reach those that were deaf, but it would also train the hearing to communicate with the deaf through sign language so that everyone could get the gospel. Thousands would be saved and influenced as a result of this vital ministry. God continues to be glorified by the work of the Bill Rice Ranch to this day. All because of a severe case of spinal meningitis that left a baby girl deaf. I don't know about you. I don't want my babies to lose their hearing. And I'm sure the races didn't want theirs to either. And if at that moment they could have changed history, they would have and said, oh, give my daughter hearing. Can I say this? I'll guarantee you this. Not even little Betty would say change that as she looks back and sees the thousands and thousands and thousands of souls that have been saved because of one illness that took her hearing that day. In eternity, only eternity will tell how God used that tragedy to change the course of eternity. John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Do you realize what he said? Things may not always turn out the way we want, and it may not be because of sin in our life even. But remember, everything that God permits in our life is that He be glorified and exalted. That's hard to accept at times in our life. But remember, God wants to change us from the inside out. And He wants to be glorified in the eyes of all lost mankind and the saved. And he deserves to be. What's the purpose of prayer? So we can get to know God. So that we are changed from the inside out. 
so that God is glorified. I wonder today, do you even have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You say, I don't know if I'd want to come to a God that would let tragedy come into my life and stand by and do nothing. Oh, he won't stand by and do nothing. He'll do a work in your life that will make it sweet no matter what if you'll let him. See, you're going to go through problems anyway because like the Bible tells us in Job, (laughs) troubles are part of life. He says, troubles come as the sparks fly upward. I mean, just like you look at a fire and you see those sparks heading into into the sky. My friend, he says, troubles will find a human being just as easily. It's going to happen. You're not going to avoid those troubles. My question, my friend, is this. Who's going through them with you? Or are you facing them alone? Oh, I've got a wife. She may not be with you forever. Oh, I have a husband. He may not last the week. Oh, I've got children. They may turn their back on you. I'm telling you today, the only one that you can count on without a doubt, not only now in this life, but for eternity, is none other than Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Emmanuel. And he will forgive your sin Because 2,000 years ago, he earned that right to forgive when he shed his precious, perfect blood to pay for your sin. And God the Father in heaven saw that perfect sacrifice and he recognizes that blood. And when he sees a sinner that has put their faith and trust in Jesus, he does not see their sin. He sees that precious blood. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe in his name. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice, will you allow his blood to pay for your sin? Or will you walk out the doors of Community Baptist Temple today and say, you know what, I'll deal with it. Do you realize, and I'm going to close with this, the Bible says in the book of John, chapter 3, It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen, please. He that believeth on him, the Lord Jesus, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Do you realize that there's a sentence been passed on you already, a sentence of death, eternal separation from God? But if you'll place your faith in Christ, if you'll allow the precious blood to be applied to your sin and your life, he says, I'll remove the condemnation. I'll replace it with conversion. I'll replace it with Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'll give you eternal life if you'll simply ask. May God help you and me and all to put our faith in Christ as Savior and Lord and as one we're willing to trust our everyday life with. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Bless us now in these next few moments. We'll thank you in this time of invitation. May you help people that have yet to receive Christ, those souls that are just teetering on hell's 
precipice that our father could fall one way or the other. They could take a step. If you took their breath, they would fall directly into hell today. If you give them life, maybe one more chance. But Lord, why would they take a chance? Why wouldn't they settle their soul's salvation today before it's eternally too late? And for the believer, may we be willing to allow you to fulfill your purpose in prayer. May we pray so that we can get to know you better, so that you can change us from the inside out, so that you can be glorified in our lives. Father, bless us now. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.